Obama approved world's greatest podcast. Hyphenation. I'm your host, Kellen Conley. Snow again in Morgantown. I'm mobile right now. And I figured that we would just go ahead and uh, get into uh, this little topic that's been on my mind here. But first... Hyphen Nation is brought to you by Hyphen Podcast Group, hyphenpodcastgroup.com, bringing great podcasts to the people. And how's everybody doing, man? I'm doing all right. Um, Could be doing better. Tomorrow would have been my mother's uh, 71st birthday. I think that's right. She's born in 48. So January 30th is her birthday. And... As I've detailed before, she passed away in 2015 at the age of uh, 68. Is that right? 67? 68. Because she would have been 69 and 16. 70 and 17. No, that's not right. She was 67. Because my dad is right now, he is 68. And he'll be 69 come October. But uh, her birthday is tomorrow. And, you know, um, you, you always miss your parents when you're gone, when uh, they're gone. And, you know, it's, it's her birthday. And mom was never big on her birthday. She was always like, it's just another day. I don't know if that was a woman thing or what. And as you get older, you start to feel that. But I got to say that. Every year my birthday comes around other than 30 because I was like, I don't want to be 30. (laughs) I want to be in my 20s forever. But other than that birthday, I do get excited when it is my actual birthday, whether I have big plans and stuff or, you know, it's just nice to have everybody celebrate you for that one day. Like shout out to all hundred plus Facebook messages I got. Uh, humble brag, I guess, because I'm sure there's people on Facebook whose birthdays go by and they don't get anything. I'm terrible about telling people happy birthday on Facebook. I used to be on it. Um, back in the days when you had to log on to your, when you were doing Facebook mostly to the computer, and be like, oh, so-and-so's birthday. So let me go do that real quick and then go about my Facebook business, you know? But it's nice when people take the time out, even if it's just a short little happy birthday message to say happy birthday and my Facebook feed is curated to be mostly people that I know. And so, and it's not like I'm just adding everybody. Because, I mean, we've all went, went through that time when you get on Facebook and you're adding 14 different people because you might have randomly met them, but you, I mean, you don't really know them. And then they post some weird shit and then you take them off. Uh, that's happened. <laughs> but. You know, her birthday is coming up, and I, I just wish she was here still to uh, celebrate the the day with me. 
I, I get to go see dad at least on around his birthday so I get to kind of celebrate with him because he's not big on birthdays either he's always been a not anti-birthday guy but I mean he's always been low-key about it uh, his way of celebrating his birthday is that he would take off work something that I haven't done in the past few years so I, I do wish she was here to celebrate with me and tell her happy birthday and tell her how much she means to me I know she can hear this at least I hope so so I, I love you mom and I, I wish you were here so naturally because she's not here just like uh, on the anniversary of her death and my and my other mom's er, uh, death in November October and November respectively I, I naturally get sad and then when July comes around and my mom's birthday comes around July 16th it's the same thing because it's just like this huge part of your life is no longer there. And so that's why I, I try to make a big deal about birthdays, man. I try to celebrate everyone every day, personally. But I too I do try to make a big deal about birthdays, because birthdays matter. Whether uh the person wants to admit it or not. because uh, I always try to I kinda did the low key thing with angels, like oh it's just birthday, whatever, especially since I've been in my thirties a little bit. But now that Leah's here and you know she gets super excited to celebrate my birthday and uh <laughs> you know it, it's uh, those things matter but i do try to celebrate people every day in my own kind of way try to make somebody feel a little better about themselves than they did before they interacted with me a genuine interaction which i always talk about at the end of the pods uh because th that goes a long way so naturally i'm gonna i'm gonna be depressed thinking about it and everything and I don't try to be like like super moody like you know I'm just I'm just in my feelings Kiki do you love me are you writing do you never never leave and I, I just kind of keep to myself and I, I can feel I can feel it coming on I can feel it coming in the air tonight like you know I'm going through something and I don't want to, I don't want, I mean, obviously, what's wrong with you? And it's like, today's my mom's birthday, you know? And I'm going to go through that tomorrow, and and that's natural. I don't want to, but it's just something that happens. I mean, you're, there's never going to go a day that I don't miss my mom. Moms. Uh, it, these days are just the hardest. When they're not here for the birthdays and then on the anniversary of their deaths it's the whole concept of them going up basically a month apart from each other is still blows my mind because uh the after my mom passed uh barbara i went back up to my house and uh god i'm trying i'm trying to think what happened she i mean i, I don't care if i said it before in the pod she um Oh, wait, because what, what had happened is I went home to check on Dad because Dad was sick. Mom was sick from her cancer and various ailments and everything. And she was actually probably doing the best that she had in, like, that was September, in, like, six months since everything kind of started going downhill for her. And I was in the room with uh with Bonnie, with my mom, and uh, she looked at me and she said, I'm sorry about your mom. <laughs> Because that mom was in the hospital at that time. 
because she hadn't passed yet. She would pass a week later after this. And she was just like, I'm sorry about your mom. I was like, thank, thanks, mom. And mom always had this thing. Call it mother, mother intuition, mother's intuition. Call it a gift. But uh, she, she kind of could uh, see things, predict things that, that were going to happen. Like she just got these feelings. And I actually have gotten that sense too, especially with things uh, in my life as I've gotten older, just being more aware of things and kind of reading between the lines. And, you know, it's not a gift or anything. I can't tell you who's going to win the ba- a basketball game tonight or who's going to win on Sunday, which would probably be the Patriots. But, you know, you just... She just had a way of knowing these things. And I, and she she inadvertently predicted that the Ravens would win the Super Bowl in 2012 because she told me she had this dream about this little white-haired man who came and visited her on, our, on our, a piece of land that we had next to our house. And he sat there and talked with her and said he owned this team from Baltimore and everything. It was really weird because Art Modell had just died. And... I was like, Mom, that sounds like it was Art Modell, and he literally just passed away. He's the Ravens owner. And I was like, Mom, I think this means the Ravens are going to win the Super Bowl. And she's like, it doesn't mean that. I'm like, Mom, have Dad put money on the Ravens now. And she never pushed them to do it. And lo and behold, the Ravens won the Super Bowl. I was like, Mom, we could have won a lot of money. <laughs> and me and Dad were talking about that last time I was home, I think, uh, how he should have put money on the Ravens because he was talking about putting money on uh or maybe when I mean it was a phone conversation. He's he's talking about uh, putting some money down on a football game, uh, late season game, uh, with the Panthers or something. And I was like, yeah, you should put money on the Ravens. I know I said something to you about it. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know. I was like, well, that's the way love goes. That's like three singing interludes in between me talking. Where else but the world's greatest podcast do you get this kind of heat? So, as always, rest in peace to my mom, Bonnie. Rest in peace to my mom, Barbara. I miss you. I love you. I wish you were here. I wish you could have lived forever. But I know you're out of pain. So I wanted to say that first. That 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 wasn't even the first topic. But I did want to go ahead and just address that and kind of explain where I'm coming from there. Next topic. The best wrestler in the world, 2018. So, I believe the first time I talked about this, I didn't really talk about it so much. Sorry, I got stuff all over me. Um, Because the first time I talked about a wrestler, it was more like, I was praising his work since he left WWE, and that wrestler would be uh, Cody Rhodes. He left WWE in 2016, I believe, and went indie, and of course he ended up everywhere. Uh, Ring of Honor, I think he was on Impact. Uh, I think he did a little bit of work for um, TNA, yeah. And then he ended up in uh, New Japan, as well as some indie stuff. But yeah, he was, uh, I think when I first talked about him, it was uh, right after he beat Jay Lethal for the ROH Ring of Honor Championship. And that was an episode where I know I was falling asleep. (laughs) 
Uh, but uh, I, I pretty much say that he was the first best wrestler in the world. I don't think there was anybody that came close to him in 2017, I believe. Because if I think about WWE, I think Seth was out at the time. And because uh, Seth had that uh, injury, his first knee injury. And Punk was out, Phil. Ugh. And there were, really wasn't anybody. I wasn't familiar enough with New Japan then to say it was Omega. And I think Finn was coming up in NXT as, as far as WWE goes. And Owens had got to NXT. So there was a whole bunch of uh, candidates, I guess. But I still stand by my, my saying that Cody Rhodes is the best wrestler 2017. Last year on Melancholy and Infinite Thoughtfulness episode. I love that title. I announced it was Chris Jericho for 2018 because, of course, Jericho was coming off of his, uh, or I'm sorry, 2017. All right, no, Rhodes was 2016. <laughs> Jericho was 2017 because he was coming off of that great last run in WWE with the list and uh, being Kevin Owens' best friend. I really liked that work. And then he had transitioned that into the New Japan work leading into Wrestle Kingdom, Kingdom 12 last year, I think. Um, whenever he had that match that he lost to Kenny Omega. But I gave it to Chris Jericho for 2017. The 2018 best wrestler in the world, best in the world, is Becky Lynch. Now, some may say, why are you giving Becky Lynch all this credit when she's only been hot for eh, six months, seven months at best? Because... She kind of did the thing that Vince always says he wants his wrestlers to do, where they uh, they grab the bull by the horns and grab for that brass ring. And obviously, there was some scripting involved with how it all went down. If I recall the pay-per-view correctly, it was SummerSlam last year when her and Charlotte faced off because Becky was the first SmackDown Women's Champion when the brand split came back. And then she lost it to Alexa, I believe. Alexa Bliss. And she had multiple opportunities to win it back, whether it was uh, matches against Alexa or against the current uh, SmackDown champion, or she was in uh, triple threats or fatal four ways. She had opportunities to beat a number one contender. But I I believe that, uh, that SummerSlam last year, was her first chance to um, actually go for the belt in a minute. And it was against Charlotte. And, of course, we all know that Charlotte is uh, pretty much of the women's division. She is the Roman. She's the Cena, where she is the consistent champion uh, who always has that championship belt, uh, no matter what brand she's on. So she went against Charlotte. I want to say... That she lost at SummerSlam. And that's when Charlotte, I mean, they were supposed to be, they were both faces at the time, and they're supposed to be best friends. And they had the little tea time thing that they were doing. But let me let me talk about before we get into that, uh, like what got her here. She was doing uh she was she's been a face the whole time since she's got the main roster. And one of the things I loved about Becky was her social media skills and not so much what she's saying on Twitter at the time. It was her Instagram because what she would do on Instagram was <laughs> she, she had that pun, that gimmick where she was using puns a lot and she kind of got away from it. But on Instagram, what she would do is 
and I don't know how much of this was her or somebody helping her, but whenever she was after SmackDown Live, normally Wednesday, sometime Wednesday, she would get on her IG stories and kind of do a recap of what happened that night. And those were just so entertaining because she would use other WWE superstars um, t- for puns and say whose ass she whipped that night or whether she lost or whatever. But it, it showed a lot of character. And it was something that Becky hadn't had a lot to, to uh, got. She hadn't got a lot. Uh, she hadn't got a chance to do a lot of character work as far like her in-ring work's always been great. First time I saw Becky was on the second or third NXT pay-per-view when they were before they were called takeovers and her and Sasha had a match. It was the first time I watched Sasha too. And man, they had a gr- hell of a match. And that was the same night that, um, Oh, that, uh, Zane ended up dropping the belt to Owens in NXT and then Samoa Joe de- debuted, but her and Sasha tore the roof down. And I was fans after that. And then when we got to the main roster, they did the, the team PCB, uh, Paige, Charlotte, and Becky. Um, and then that, that kind of, of course, when they started the rev- women's revolution angle on TV. But I, I really liked her IG stories because she, uh, she has showed a lot of ingenuity because nobody else on the main roster was really doing these things. So I really feel like it was her where she was finding ways to continue her character uh, beyond the camera. So back to SummerSlam. <laughs> Her and Charlotte get together uh, after the match. Charlotte beat her uh, clean. Charlotte goes to help her up, and I think they have a hug or something. Becky's devastated, and then Charlotte turns her back, celebrating with the bell, and then Becky just goes off and attacks the holy hell out of Charlotte. Beats her down, and everybody's like, oh my God, that's her best friend. How could you do this, Becky? How could you turn your back? And the fans went ape shit for it. Ape shit. They loved it. This is what this is what they wanted from Becky for so long. They wanted her to be, I don't want to say be the man, but they wanted her to have uh, uh, some kind of fire because Becky's character has always been this nice, sweet, um, I don't know, what I can't think of the word, steam, no, steampunk. That's kind of the angle that she was coming from, that her, her outfits were steampunk inspired and stuff. And, you know, but Becky was just kind of falling on deaf ears as far as she's a great wrestler, but she's not getting any run. She's not doing anything important. So when Becky beat the living hell out of Charlotte, the crowd popped. Super hyped about that. And Gary keeps mentioning to me, Gary Wolf. He keeps mentioning that uh, we talked about this in our rooftop episode when we uh, kind of went down, went over what was going down WWE at the time. I think we recorded that the night before SummerSlam, actually. And it, it was just huge. So Becky's a heel, right? So, and Becky's doing heel stuff. She's attacking Charlotte. Uh, I don't, uh, and, you know, and she gets her, and somehow... She's getting a rematch, even uh, even though I forget whether she won number one contender or how that went. But she got another match with Charlotte and everybody. And the common thought was she's going to lose again uh, because Becky never wins anything. And then Becky actually beat Charlotte and it was it was a clean finish. I, and I feel like they uh, I, I don't know if it, like, I don't think, like, Charlotte tapped to the disarm or anything like that, but it was a clean finish along the lines of Becky won fair and square. So Becky is the champion. 
And then slowly, her and Charlotte are still feuding. Yo, what up, though? It's your boy, Miles. I'm a dead prower. Now, if there's anything I have to promote to you other than myself, I'm going to tell you, it's the podcast Talk Black to me. It's great. People who host it, talk to them. No, real good people. Real people. Nothing fake. It's pro-black. And if anybody know anything about me, if I'm anything, it's pro-black. To get your mind correct, check out Talk Black to me. And if you don't, you're probably a Trump supporter. <laughs> Be yeah, check it out. It's on Anchor, iTunes, anywhere else you can find awesome podcasts. And I wouldn't lie, because my name is Miles Amadeus Prower, and they're check clear. Peace. And they had going to have some great matches. They had a great uh, last woman standing match. I don't know if they're in Hell in a Cell. I can't remember. If they did a Hell in a Cell match, but they went on to have a great feud there. The two best friends that uh, are no longer best friends. And then Becky takes to calling herself the man, not the woman, not, I don't know, HBIC, HCIC, if you don't want to curse. But Becky starts calling herself the man. And the crowd is just loving it. Like Becky comes out to do heel promos, and the crowd is just cheering. Like, Becky can do no wrong. And from there, Becky has just taken this man gimmick and ran with it. And she's the hottest wrestler in WWE right now. And I dare say that she's the hottest wrestler in the entire world right now. Thanks to the man gimmick and uh, WWE realizing that we're not going to be able to make her, like, keep her a heel. So she became a tweener where she still says, she says heel shit. But she's still she's still a face, you know. She she's the face. So we go from there and we get the Survivor Series. And Survivor Series plans to put uh, the champions against each other. So it's supposed to be uh, AJ Styles versus Brock Lesnar again, and then it's supposed to be Becky. Uh, versus Ronda Rousey. And they do this absolutely in fuego. In fuego, I say. Um, angle on, on Raw, where Team SmackDown, because there was a, a women's match uh, Survivor Series and a men's match Survivor Series. Becky and Team SmackDown show up. And Becky doesn't just show up. The camera goes from whatever's happening in the ring to running down the hallway to the locker rooms. And Becky is just devastating Ronda Rousey in the locker room. Got her in disarmor, just has completely crushed her. And we missed the entire fight, but we see Ronda in disarmor and Becky is just just twerking on that shoulder. And And this is the weakest we've seen Ronda look since she's been on the main roster. So everybody's like, oh shit. And then Team SmackDown comes down as attacking Team Raw in the ring. And then Becky's music hits and the crowd's going nuts. Team SmackDown is, has the upper hand and is destroying Team Raw. Becky comes down to that ring. And this is uh, the number one moment on Raw, thanks to a SmackDown star, by the way. And this is a WWE list. Becky gets into the ring. Starts clearing house, and then Nia Jax hits her with a 
punch and not a not not a wrestling punch. She hauls off and punches her square in the face. It was a botch. Not the first time Nia's botched something, but these things happen. Uh, Nia's had a few issues with keeping people safe. I forget who she had uh, injured in the past. It wasn't as serious as this, but punches Becky square in the face. Becky falls down. Uh, ring is still clearing out. And then Becky gets up and her face is bloody as hell. Look like the like one of the most iconic unscripted blood moments of all time. Now, Brett and, and Austin at WrestleMania 13, that was a shoot. Worker shoot. It was a yeah, it was a shoot because Brett and Stone Cold knew that, that Brett was gonna blade Stone Cold. Nobody in the back did. But nobody planned for this. So Becky gets up a bloody mess. Becky has said in an interview she had no idea what the hell was going on at this point. I mean, she knew she was still in the ring, but she was, like, out of it. Becky then continues to clear the ring, and then Ronda's music hits. Ronda comes down, selling the shoulder injury, looking pissed off, comes in the ring, starts clearing out the Team SmackDown women with one arm, and then her and Becky go at it. And Becky gets his chair and takes Ronda out again with the chair. And then more to, I, I don't know who came to the ring to try to help Ronda. I want to say Natalia showed up because uh, I, I don't remember. I think Natalia might have been in her feud with Riot Squad at that point. So I don't know if she was on Team Raw or not. Uh, don't quote me. But then as, as reinforcements arrive for Raw, Becky slides off into the crowd, face a bloody mess, stands on the steps, soaks in the adulation. It's just a completely badass moment. And then Raw goes off the air. Then reports start coming out. Becky has a, a bro broken nose. Um, this, that, and third. That was a not intentional. Uh, it's worse than what uh, it looked. So Becky shows up next night on SmackDown. Huge bruise on the left side of her face and if you follow me on instagram the b hyphen i posted several pictures of becky since her run has started because she's right now my favorite wrestler in the company and i got a man shirt and everything and so you you know like becky comes out smackdown and it already came out in the dirt sheets that Becky was not going to be able to wrestle at Survivor Series because of her injuries. Doctors would not clear her, which sucks. Absolutely sucks. And, I mean, we were going to get this great match that they set up perfectly when the writing was actually right uh, with Ronda and Becky, but Becky is not medically here to wrestle because of her injury. So... Becky is getting to come out and handpick who from SmackDown will get to wrestle Ronda Rousey. And Asuka's in the ring, and, and the Iconics are in the ring, and Charlotte's in the ring. I feel like there might, oh, Naomi was in the ring, which was awesome to see her get that spotlight. Because remember, Naomi is the first black wrestler to actually win a championship at WrestleMania. And she's a two-time SmackDown champion, I believe. Because I think she had it, and then she got injured and had to drop it, and then she won it back at WrestleMania. Um, 
which WrestleMania was that? That wasn't um, New Orleans. It was... Crap, I can't remember, uh, remember where they were at. Was that Orlando? I think it was Orlando. Yeah, because she's from Orlando. So I'm, I'm going to go with that one. So it was the same one where uh, the Hardys came back. And comes down a ring and she walks up to each uh, person who wants to show. Oh, Carmella's in there too because Carmella had the belt right before uh, Charlotte won it back. And... Becky goes up to each contender, and Oscar's like, "I'm ready, I'm ready." Doesn't pick Oscar, doesn't pick Naomi, doesn't pick the Iconics for obvious reasons, doesn't pick Mella. Gets to Charlotte, and she picks Charlotte, and her and Charlotte have this hug, and she whispers something in Charlotte's ear, and then she walks out with the belt, and that's was a badass moment too, just because of that amount of control that the man now had, and I believe it might have been. The first time that we saw the man T-shirt, if she hadn't, if she didn't wear it that night, she might have worn it the week before, because she had a SmackDown shirt on on Raw. And so Charlotte is chosen to go face Ronda Rousey. Um, in other news, Dana Bryan beats AJ, faces Brock at Survivor Series, and loses to Brock, and then the new Daniel Bryan uh, angle begins. And from there, Charlotte goes on to wrestle Ronda for a few minutes before losing her shit, <clears throat> where she's now this unstable tweener herself. And she goes ape shit on Ronda and beats her with a kendo stick and gets disqualified and everything. And then we get back to SmackDown business. Becky eventually gets cleared. Asuka wins. Uh, uh, I believe it was at... Oh, Asuka won at Evolution. The uh, Did they do a Battle Royal or something? I, I can't remember it, I'm sorry. But I, I'm pretty sure they did another Battle Royal for... Um, well, Asuka won the Battle Royal at uh, Rumble, Royal Rumble last year to face Charlotte. No, Charlotte won that. Didn't she? How did Charlotte get, Charlotte get to WrestleMania? Because Asuka was a champion. No, Charlotte was a champion. Asuka won that. Anyway, Asuka won something in order to get this shot at Becky. And then somehow Charlotte gets looped into the proceedings. And so we have Charlotte, Asuka, and Becky for Becky's title. And Becky goes on to lose that belt uh, in a ladder match. Thanks to Ronda coming down and interfering... And that was at, uh, when, when, when did that happen? Was that at the, that had to be at Evolution too. Because she beat, Charlotte beat her up. But then, no, I don't know. Maybe it was TLC. Let's say it was TLC. I'm sorry, I'm not looking. Uh, Becky and Oscar and Charlotte having a great ladder match. And Ronda comes down. You're thinking, oh, it's payback time. Ronda's because they were in the same building because Ronda defended her belt against someone. I think that's when she faced Nia Jax again. Becky, Ronda comes down. Becky and Charlotte are both on the ladder, and you think she's just going to tear them both down and just destroy both of them. No, Ronda comes down and pushes the ladder, and they both fall off and roll out the ring, and then Asuka, who had been down previously, comes up and wins the title. So, Ronda costs Becky her belt, and then Asuka's your champion. So 
Becky wins a shot to uh, get her title back. And they faced off at the Royal Rumble. Becky taps to a third Oscar lock that Oscar went into a bridge with. And I've never seen Oscar do this. And that it looked painful. So some people in my wrestle chat group were like, oh, I didn't want Becky to chat to tap. And some people on cage side seats, like I didn't want Becky to tap, but you got to realize it was the third Oscar lock, man. And Becky did not look weak. It didn't do anything to hurt Becky by losing to Oscar. And then we go into the women's world rumble, which is better than the men's rumble in my opinion. And Lana starts to come in, but apparently Lana got injured on the pre-show in the Rusev Nakamura match. I can't remember for sure. And Lana's ankle is hurt and she's trying to come down the ramp and she just can't do it. And so she's literally falls over at one point. Action's still happening in the ring. And then Becky's music comes out and she's begging Fit Finley, who's an agent for WWE now, comes down and like, let me in. She can't go. She can't go. She can't go. And pay in. And Lana even kind of waves like, you should let her go. I, I can't do this. I can't get in that ring. There's no point. Becky comes in. Becky cleans house, comes down to her and Charlotte. Uh, and Nia, Charlotte and her team up to get Nia out. Or no, did Be- or Becky eliminates Charlotte. I forget whether they teamed up or not. I know I just watched it, but still. Nia's eliminated. Becky's on uh, the steps. Or maybe Nia gets eliminated before Becky gets in the ring, or, or whatever. Becky's on the steps to go in. Nia comes from behind and shoves her, and Becky is selling a knee injury. Haven't heard anything about it being legit, but Becky sold the shit out of that knee injury. Gets in the ring, it's like, oh, she's wounded. There's no way she beats Charlotte. And lo and behold, she gets Charlotte out, and Ro- Becky Lynch is your Royal Rumble champion. And then on Monday Night on Raw, Becky goes straight to the ring after uh, Ronda defeats Bailey, And then gets in her face, and they have a nice little face-off. Great promos on both sides. So we now have it set where Becky Lynch, who this time last year was an undercarder, so to speak, on SmackDown, on the pre-show of WrestleMania 34. Becky Lynch is now facing Ronda Rousey, for the Raw Women's Championship at WrestleMania. And that's the story of Becky Lynch. And ladies and gentlemen, if you think there's a better, best wrestler in the world from last year, let me know. But right now, the man is the man for a reason. And I'm enjoying this run. And I've even went on record to say it as this might be the most organic uh, run that WWE has had since possibly Stone Cold because Stone Cold was a heel once the Stone Cold character came in and then after the the Austin 316 promo people just started getting behind him and then of course you get the WrestleMania 13 and Bret's the face Austin's the heel they do the double turn in the match where Austin is more the face even though he's more of a tweener uh, back then, and if you don't know what a tweener is, a, a tweener is a uh, um, in between. So they they play both heel and face. And then Austin went on his great run that he that he had for many years. I, I think this is a bigger deal than Punk in 2011, Phil, ugh. and Daniel Bryan in 2014 because they completely botched 
Phil in 2011 by having Triple H beat him at uh, was that Survivor Night of Champions. Kind of killed all his momentum, even though he won the WWE Championship at Survivor Series. And then with um, Brian, the plan was Batista Orton. That was the plan. They didn't even put Brian in the Royal Rumble match after he lost to Bray Wyatt earlier in the night. And then they they finally just kind of caved and made it uh, the made the stipulation where if Daniel Bryan beats Triple H because he wasn't an A plus player, so if he can get past Triple H, he gets in triple threat at WrestleMania 30. Then he can go on into the match with Orton and Batista. And of course he defeated Triple H in a great first match that night and defeated Orton and Batista in the main event of WrestleMania 30. I think it's I think it's more important. I, I think this is just more organic because I feel like the fans kind of forced the fans and the momentum kind of forced the fans or forced creatives hand with Dan and Brian. And like I said, they botched Phil uh, with uh, having triple H defeat him and kind of kill his momentum. And they kind of honestly, uh, the triple H thing was the real bad part, but honestly having, uh, having him beat John Cena and then have Cena's foot on the rope, you kind of had that controversy, have him beat again, beaten again at SummerSlam 2011 after he beat him in Money in the Bank. He beat him again at SummerSlam 2011 with Triple H refereeing and then Del Rio showed up and cashed in. They, they kind of killed that too because I think they went from that into the triple threat um, with all three of them, Del Rio and, and Cena and Phil. And then, of course, Del Rio won that, and then Cena ended up beating Del Rio and had it for a month, and then Del Rio got it back, and then Phil got it from from him at Survivor Series and held it for 434 days. So your best wrestler in the world, Becky Lynch. Soak it in, man. I just want to take a second to kind of amend what I just said about Becky, though, before we get to the next topic. Um... What happened on Raw last night, and yeah, I'm recording this in parts, wasn't planned, should have been out last week, yada, 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 whatever we hear. On Raw last night, uh, events culminated to to a head, so to speak, where originally, on Monday night, Stephanie called Becky out to Raw and was saying, Becky, you need to get your knee checked for that injury Nia Jax gave you. Uh, you're not letting doctors check you. You're afraid we're going to take you out of the Royal Rumble match or the uh, WrestleMania match. And Becky, 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 Becky proceeds to smack the fire out of Stephanie. Tuesday night, Triple H comes down and challenges Becky on the same thing. And Beck slaps the fire out of Triple H's mouth. So she's now slapped two members of the McMahon-Helmsley, excuse me, McMahon-Helmsley faction. And coming into last night on Raw, well, they want an apology, or I guess they're going to take her out of the WrestleMania main event. So, essentially, after debating over it with several different people in the, lock, in the back, I, I believe there was a segment with Finn, a segment with uh, Alexa. I, I wasn't watching. I just was catching these, catching these clips online. 
It's like sound advice or whatever. It's like comics, conventions, and cosplay or whatever. It's like ladies night or whatever. It's like wrestling or whatever. It's like parenting or whatever. It's like anime or whatever. It's like spiritual warfare or whatever. It's like great friends, awesome people coming around doing what we do best or whatever. You should watch, listen, and follow or whatever. It's like a podcast or whatever. Well, after mauling over it for three hours, Becky comes down to the ring and apologizes to Stephanie and Triple H. And so they're like, oh, yeah, you're good. You can wrestle uh, uh, Ronda at WrestleMania. Then Vince's music comes out. Vince, who I will say is now showing a little bit of his age on the microphone. He's still Vince. But you can tell, not not that he's sick or anything. You can just tell he's a little bit older, a little bit slower than he has been in recent years. Mind you, he uh, last climbed into the ring uh, six years ago at this point with uh, CM Punk. Uh, but, and he's done multiple segments with taking a few bumps here and there. I think he did uh, a bump with Stone Cold at uh, Raw 25, and then Kevin Owens headbutted him that one time. But you can just tell Vince is slowing down a little bit. So, anyway, he comes out, he's like, oh, Becky, you're disrespectful, and you think you're bigger than WWE, and blah, blah, blah. I'm Vince McMahon. I'm the man, not you. And so you're suspended for 60 days. And it was classic McMahon heel shit. Classic Mr. McMahon. You're suspended for 60 days, which uh, by my calculation is you can't return to the ring until three or four days, maybe five days after WrestleMania. So you can't compete. And your replacement will be Charlotte Flair. And then Charlotte comes out and the crowd boos her to death. So we're getting a triple threat at WrestleMania more than likely. Yes, I know it's supposed to be Charlotte and Becky, but if they're hitting the same notes as a previous feud mentioned, Stone Cold and Mr. McMahon, then I'm sure Becky will find some way back into that main event and we're getting a triple threat. Which is fine, but Becky and Ronda one-on-one is where all the heat is. So, but I guess, I don't know, to protect Rhonda, maybe, Charlotte eats the pin from Becky. But anyway, Becky's still the best in the world. I want to say that. And then also, I wanted to add about, I had mentioned that uh, there hasn't been anything as organic uh, in WWE since Becky, with Becky, since uh, Stone Cold's original run. Um, I was listening to... Uh, Ed and Christian's podcast, Awesomeness, they had Seth Rollins on, and they were talking beforehand, uh, they were talking about his new belt and everything, new Daniel Bryan run, and they essentially said that, they mentioned again that Daniel Bryan's, uh, was his face run was very organic, and I, I failed to mention that because ultimately I said they swerved to Daniel Bryan because the story goes, uh, 2012, uh, let's say late 2011, 20, early 2012, Daniel Bryan is a heel. He has started the yet the yes chance, 
And surprisingly enough, even though he is a heel, he is getting over with these yes chants. And I went to Miami for WrestleMania 28. I like just saying that. Still a major milestone in my life. And everybody there, yes, 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 yes. Everywhere, access, hotel, anywhere we went, people were cheer- chanting yes. Got into um, Sun Life Stadium. I don't know what it's called now. Yes, yes, yes. The whole place is just going nuts. And Daniel Bryan and Sheamus were one of the first matches. And then if you know anything about wrestling history, what happened, if you don't, rather, uh, Daniel Bryan came down the ring. He was the World Heavyweight Champion. And Sheamus came down. Uh, he was giving AJ a kiss on the apron because they were in a, a storyline relationship. Turns around, catches the bro kick from Sheamus. Sheamus pins him in 18 seconds and he loses. That's how WrestleMania 28 went down for Daniel Bryan. That just propelled him to be stronger. And eventually, we did get to the point where uh, essentially the what Daniel Bryan started doing no chance to try to stay a heel wasn't working too well. He ends up in Team Hell No with Kane. Um, that turns him face. He goes on a feud with the Bray, with the Brays, with the Wyatts. And then we get to the Royal Rumble in 2014. And Bray goes over Daniel Bryan clean. Everybody wanted Daniel Bryan to appear in the Rumble. He did not. Batista won. Got a chorus of boos from everyone, myself included. One of a few times that Roman was cheered because he was in the last two. And Batista dumps Roman, wins the Rumble, and then from there we swerved into uh, Daniel Bryan occupying Raw and getting his shot to uh, go to WrestleMania, face Triple H, and then face Orton and Batista. I know I just may have mentioned this before, but I did want to say that that was very organic up until the point of Daniel Bryan becoming, getting over the way he did, up until the point of creative having to essentially get him into this match because no one was buying Batista and Orton at WrestleMania 30. Next topic. I caught up on some music lately. Um, Because most of the time I listen to podcasts and there for a while in January I want to say, maybe even December I um was catching up on stuff I was behind on. So I got some opinions on about one, two, three, four, five different artists. So we're going to get into them right now. And I got a problem with all of them. <laughs> uh, let me explain. So Wale, 2018, Wale got dropped by Warner Brothers, second time he got dropped after his fifth album. Let's see, Attention Deficit, uh, Ambition, The Gifted, my favorite album about nothing, is after his uh, fifth album dropped, which was called Shine. Shine dropped, I made him, I listened to it on the way down to Disney, I believe, and I still, to this day, there's only one joint that I really mess with on there. Wale has gotten into this weird thing where he is, um... (sighs) 
this weird thing where he wants to sing. And there's nothing wrong with melody in your music. I mean, Drake made it cool to sing on your music. And honestly, if we're looking at some of the top rappers in the game, there's Drake still, J. Cole, Kendrick. They all kind of sing. And if you look at rap in general, there's a lot of auto-tune melodies, you know? Sometimes the melodies are more prevalent than the actual uh, lyrics itself. So Wale's caught this vibe, and he had put out a project before this album dropped. I believe it was called Summer on Sunset. Um, and I really liked that. I thought it was a really cool idea, at least. Yeah, it was called Summer on Sunset. This is supposed to be, this came out on June 16th. Or June, yeah, June of 16th is when it came out. I listened to Summer on Sunset, and I rocked with it. I really liked it. I thought it had a lot of potential, so to speak. And the skits were cool. It kind of told a story about this girl trying to track down Wale throughout the mixtape. And eventually she says she's pregnant. Because around that time, Wale was expecting his first child. I believe he had a daughter. He apparently also dropped another project prior to Shine coming out. And that was called Before I Shine. Now that mixtape came out, eh, let's say March of 17. And I didn't listen to it before Shine. I recently listened to it and I was thoroughly impressed. I was like, man... This mixtape's dope. Okay, Wale. Because The Gifted's my favorite. The album about nothing is cool. But, you know, so I, I'm a Wale guy. I've been a Wale guy since uh, back in the go-go. Um, I believe I was a joining ad with Bun B and Put Your T on it. So I've been riding with him for a while. So I, I'm definitely here to support Wale. But Wale's falling into this groove of pretty thing. And it's not that he's he's it's not that the singing's bad. No, let's be honest. The singing's not great. But there's a lot of artists out there that can rock with some bad singing. I don't think Wale's one of them. Like I it just none of the songs caught me from Shine. So, I never went back to it, really, other than that one song I messed with at the end of the tape, or the CD, the album, the long play. He got dropped by Warner, Warner Brothers. He started dropping new music, and he starts putting out these EPs, which is cool. No problem with that. He, he's actually dropped, since he's been dropped, He's dropped three EPs. It's Complicated, Self-Promotion, and Free Lunch. Now, It's Complicated had a great um, song that went with it. And I was really excited about the ve the vehicle, the video, not for It's Complicated, but uh, just for one of the songs on the tape. Because I was like, oh, man, Wale's just coming out spitting. This is dope. I can totally rock with this. Um, and of course it's not going to come out. I do this every time. 
Then I'm like, oh yeah, this song's really good. I, I but I can't remember the name of it. Staying Power. Staying Power, yeah. Wale had a song called Staying Power. I did a video for you. I shot it back home in D.C. And I was like, yo, this is super dope. I hope this is the direction that he's going back in. He's going to be like, all right, let me get back on my... Let me get back on my flow, you know? But no. Wale's insisting on still doing this sing-songy rap thing that he can't really pull off. And he did it all over. It's, it's complicated. He did it all over the second EP, which I've already forgotten the name of. Uh, actually, Staying Power wasn't even on It's Complicated. Dang. Uh, that's disappointing. But yeah, back to the Wale discography thing. Extended plays. Self-promotion was fine. There was nothing really good on that. Now, granted, these are supposed to be EPs to kind of keep his name out there, like Negotiations, Salary Cap, Body, 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 and Cassius was the songs on there. None of those songs grabbed me, man. I was just kind of like, what are you doing, Wale? And I know Wale has taken a ton of shit over the years for not, I don't, I, I guess I, I can say that it's because people don't really mess with him like that. Um, people say he has an attitude. And the whole complex thing happened uh, before an album about nothing. When he wasn't on the list of the, like the best albums of whatever year it was, I think it was for The Gifted, which I agree with him. The Gifted is way underrated, but still, you would just feel like <laughs> you would just feel like he would kind of figure out his lane, and he had a lane, but he won't stay in a lane because. Obviously, the Maybach music, he's still Maybach music, but Ambition was very Maybach music powered. It was good. It was a step up from what self, um, from Attention Deficit was. Even though I enjoyed parts of Attention Deficit, it wasn't the album we thought Wale could make coming off of the, his early mixtape work, especially after the mixtape about nothing. But... Ambition got him back in the public eye and everything. So he went and made the, it, the Gifted. And honestly, The Gifted is his lane. He had a, a great mixture of songs for the ladies. Rap songs like 88's on there, produced by Just Blaze, one of my favorite Wale songs. Great song. He, he was able to maintain it nicely. And then the album about nothing was while I didn't love everything on it. I didn't love it as much as The Gifted. It's still a solid album. That's what I'm trying to get to. But then, since then, I don't know. He's just... May, maybe he's depressed. I know he deals with depression. He said he still deals with depression. Maybe he's just like, I want to make music I want to make. But if the music you want to make isn't appealing to the people, like maybe you switch it up just a little bit. And this goes into his growth into growth as an artist and it's something I want to kind of talk about when we get to Justin Timberlake but maybe 
Sometimes your growth isn't right for your career. So Wale essentially doesn't want to change what he's doing. Again, these are EPs though, so I don't know. Maybe maybe he will switch it up by the time this next album comes out. I believe he inked another deal. I think he did. I'm not looking it up. I just want him to shine, so to speak, because I, I, I am a big Wale fan. I've always respected what he did coming up to how he got here. I actually met Wale once. He actually came to Morgantown. There's video proof of it. I actually forgot I had it. I just wish that he would be able to find a happy medium between what he wants and what people want to hear from him. Because if he's still, if he's selling well with these EPs and obviously he always can tour and fall back on the old catalog to tour with, that's great. But I just want to see him be successful because he's like the only one from that class of, I I guess, oh, I mean, I've discovered Wale in 08, so... He's the only one out of that class of MCs that Drake, J. Cole, Kendrick, that you he kind of is in there because he came. They all kind of came up around the same time, but it's just not happening for him, and it sucks. Maybe it's me. Next artist we're going to talk about is Eminem. So I reviewed his last album. What was that thing called? Re-something. Damn it, I'm about to look it up. The album that came out where he did the BET freestyle and everybody was like, oh, he won at Trump, it's awesome. And then everybody was kind of like, revival. And everybody kind of, a little bit later was like, yeah, it was awesome, but wasn't it a little weird how he spit that? I mean, obviously it's Eminem and if you listen to the um, top 25, the greatest MCs of all time episode. You, Eminem was number two for me. Three, two. I don't remember. He's either three or two. If you listen to that, you know I, I think highly of Eminem. And I've even liked some of his later work. I really liked Relapse a lot. Thought that was criminally underrated, even though he was doing the accents. Recovery was very good, a return to form. Bad Meets Evil was great. I really, really, really liked the Marshall Mathers LP, too. I thought there was a lot of songs where he was really digging into what made him him and just was spitting while there was still some trash songs on the album. I still feel like that album is underrated because everybody was like, no one wants a sequel to Marshall Mathers. Uh, Fuck you, Eminem. And I kind of felt like he got shit on a little bit. But I really liked that album. Some of the references, uh, obviously the homophobic stuff, doesn't fly as well as it did in 2000 when the original um, LP came out. But still, here we are. So Revival comes out. Not like I listened to Revival once. And like I said in the earlier episode, it was fun. He had like Ed Sheeran and Beyonce and I think he had a pink song on there which was fine but there was there was no real radio joint that that got all this is the first album that I recovered that I can recover that I can remember of them's that didn't have a joint on it where people was like what was a, a first single you know 
because we we go back through our memory lane. Slim Shady LP had um my name is. Thomas DJ, top professional. I'm Scott McGregor, talented amateur. And we'd like to invite you to join us for our journey through every adventure of the Avengers. No, not that Avengers. You won't find any tights, magic hammers, or fancy shields here. But you will find some supervillains and some hot women in tight leather, so there is that. And champagne. Oh, yeah, lots of champagne. With Umbrella Charm and Bowler, that other Avengers podcast, covering the seminal spy series that lasted from 1961 to 1969 on an episode-by-episode basis. Join us as we explore the television series that helped shape pop culture and made an icon out of Diana Rigg, Honor Blackman, and Patrick Dean. With Umbrella Charm and Bowler. That other Avengers podcast, coming straight towards you every month. Only on the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. Marshall Mathers LP had um, Real Slim Shady. The Eminem show had Without Me, which I think is criminally underrated and one of his best um, first singles. Encore had the Just Awful, Just Lose It. Relapse had We Made You, which was back in form with um, his earlier singles of referencing pop culture. But... um, we Made You was fine. Uh, let's see. Bad Meets Evil really didn't go that route. And then uh, Marshall Mathers LP2, of course, came out with um, um, the Rick Rubin song that goes... Whatever that song was. Uh, of course, Eight Mile had "Lose Yourself," huge, huge, huge song, biggest song of his of his career. And then Revival had the "Walk on Water" song, Beyonce. Revival didn't have that impact that the other ones had. The "Walk on Water" was talked about for like a couple weeks, and then it went away. It wasn't really getting any play like that. So. Shortly after Revival came out and got trashed, they did a remix of a song that was on there. And I'm going to look this one up because I want to call it Novocaine, but I don't think that's the right title. So let me see real quick. I want to say it's Chloroseptic, maybe. Oh, it is Chloroseptic. Yes. He put out a remix of Chloroseptic, which is one of the better songs on Revival. And in it, he proceeds to go off one of the better verses that he had, he had done in, in this time frame about how people aren't receiving the album and saying that he's lost it and all this. And then it was, a, it was a good kind of, fuck y'all, this album sold what it sold. I'm still him um, in a day. Like, it felt like something that he could have ended with. You know what I'm saying? Like, he could have left it at that. But he didn't, of course. So what does M do? Like, your your album gets critically panned, and this isn't the first time he's been here. Encore was not received that well. But it's so... It was in 2004. It sold bukus. So M wasn't really worried about it. Plus M was on his drug habit. Relapse 
got decent reviews, but a lot of people still trashed him for the voices. So why is it now at um his age? What? How old is M? M has to be like I'm gonna say forty three. Is what I'm going to guess. Eminem age. Podcast 101, ladies and gentlemen. 46. Born in 72. So at age uh, 40, yeah, 45. Because this came out Labor Day weekend, I believe. He drops another album. The quickest he's ever released an album after releasing more in the previous year. Well, I, I guess Marsh Mathers was like, what? Or Slim Shady was like 98. Marsh Mathers was 2000. Um, Eight Miles, 2002. Eminem Show was 2003. Encore, 2004. Okay, so I lied. But <laughs> what I'm trying to say is he, he goes back in the studio and proceeds to make an album about Fuck y'all, I'm still nice. Like a whole album of this. Which is, which is, I guess, okay. But when you're him, like why, why, why do you feel the need to go this route? And even on top of that, he surprised dropped it. Nobody knew he was going to do this. Well, obviously his label and all that, but all of a sudden, I uh, I think I woke up the next day after he dropped it, and it's like, oh, Eminem dropped a surprise album last night. Eminem dropped a surprise album last night, and so me, being the Marshall stand I am, was like, yes, gotta get it, and I got it. Proceeded not to listen to it, put it on the back burner, and while the reviews that I saw of Kamikaze was not nearly as scathing as some of the stuff that we saw for recovery, not recovery, revival. It still was getting a lot of flack. And then, of course, he starts dissing people. He goes after Joe Budden, who hadn't uh, released a project since, what was Rage in the Machine? Was that 2017 when that came out? 16? When he's beefing with Drake, and then Joe says he's retired. Went after Joe Budden for no reason. According to him, Budden, uh, he didn't he didn't like that Budden and uh, academics was trashing revival on everyday struggle. So he goes after Budden, and then Budden responds in kind on his podcast. So that's where we are with beef in 20, uh, 19, 2018, ladies and gentlemen. Was someone raps and then someone responds on a podcast. Not that I expected. Joe, who says he's not rapping anymore to get on the mic, but I don't know, maybe you kind of hop back in the stew for Eminem. I mean, he threatened him a bunch of times to do that very thing, but never did. Goes after Machine Gun Kelly for a random bar he had about Haley years ago. And something about Tyler, the creator, and of course, he said, he said something homophobic. And everybody's like, oh, Eminem, Eminem hates gay people, blah, 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 blah. And of course, I believe at this point that it's pretty much confirmed that Tyler is gay. So, or at least bi. 
So he's catching a lot of flack for that. It goes that route. And this is after he admitted during the relapse recovery era that he had songs that he had written about Kanye and Wayne, who were like the hottest dude, the hottest guys out when uh, he was uh, when he was uh, not relapsing, recovering <laughs> from his uh, pill addiction. He admitted he had diss songs on these guys and verses about these guys, but he didn't want to be that person who comes back and disses the hottest dude out and then proceeds to make an album roughly eight years later where he does that very thing where while he's not going after some of the hottest dudes out, he is going after random people for kind of attention, you know? And... It's, it was just not a good look. The rapping on the album is subpar. And it hurts me to say that, but there's nothing on this album, this 13-track album that grabbed me. Nothing. Nothing. Which is crazy to me. I kind of like the fall song. I, I believe that's the one he did the video for. Yeah. Um, he, had, he had a couple videos, actually. But I, I watched the one fall. That's when he's like in the office building and Kanan and Royce dropped them off or something. I thought that video was cool. Like Joyner Lucas was good on here. Royce was definitely dope because Royce hadn't done any bad shit. <laughs> um, but the whole album is just kind of like, eh, a big old meh, you know? I put this down there with Encore. And some, I just read a, a t someone commented on something saying that Encore has aged better than we thought. I think. I could be confusing with something else. I haven't listened to Encore in years. I liked a lot of Encore. I didn't like the super stupid stuff like Ass Like That was on there. The way you shake it. The way you move it. I ain't never seen an ass like that. I think that was on there. Just the dumb shit he did. But I would definitely put Kamikaze down there. So I was hella disappointed. Hella disappointed with that. So Eminem's problem. I I don't know. Like after he makes a I kind of feel like a, a crowning achievement album in Marshall Mathers 2. And I know people are like, you love Marshall Mathers 2 is not a classic. No, I didn't say classic. But when you talk about um, when you talk about Eminem, you just I don't know, man. Like you expect a certain quality from him is is what I'm thinking. And for him to make a crowning achievement album like that in that time period and put it out and it's well received, and it's like, look, I can still do this thing. It's like. Not everybody can be hope, obviously. But it's like, all right, people weren't feeling revi feeling revival. Fine. You took some chances. Fine. You want to do something different. Fine. Like the man dissed Trump and got no response from Trump himself, Donald himself. I don't like calling him by his last name. Fuck his last name. You know, it, it just kind of fell on deaf ears. And then for you to come right back out and do this and then make this kind of 
low-grade album and feel like you're spitting some of the hottest stuff ever when you're really not. It just sucks as an Eminem fan. So his problem is he needs to let it go. Let it go. Who cares what people think? You got money. You got respect. You don't need to reply to Joe Budden. Slaughterhouse died, and now they'll never come out with the third album. And yet here we are talking about Kamikaze. So there's that. Which brings me to my next musician who I have a problem with, somebody who, and yes, I'm still recording this in parts, somebody who was a big star of the All-Star Weekend that just took place in Charlotte, helped out during the Sam, Sam Dunk Con, helped out during the Slam Dunk Contest, tried to dunk himself and missed a very on-brand thing for him to do. <laughs> then performed during the halftime show, even brought out some old classics, I listened to J. Cole's album that is escaping me too. I'm guessing that I'm not remembering the names of these projects because they're not impressive to me. Uh, J. Cole's 34 apparently. K.O.D. I didn't like For Your Eyes Only the first time I listened to it. I was kind of like, that was cool. But then I was reading more into it and we were like, oh, there's more to it. There's like a storyline and da 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 da. I went back and listened to it again. And and in the day, I was like, you know what? This actually is good. It's not as good as what 2014 Forest Hills Drive was. But, and it's not Born Center, which is probably my favorite J. Cole album. But, well, I guess 2014 would be. And it, but I really love Born Center, but I really live with that album because that's the only CD I had that worked in my CD player back in my old Toyota Dodge Stratus. The, the problem with Cole is his beats. And I'm beating a dead horse here because no sooner did I listen to Joe Budden say that he needs to let other people handle his production because he's killing all these features, not even a month ago. I was going to listen to KOD, and I was excited about KOD when it came out, because it was announced like the week it was going to drop, and I mentioned it on the pod. I was excited, but I wasn't excited enough to play it at the time. <sighs> but I finally listened to KOD, man, and none of those beats grabbed me. Cole's rhyming is great. His lyrics are great. His content is great. The whole concept of the album is great. But none of those beats grab me. Like, even on even on For Your Eyes Only, none of those joints grab me. Like the ones on Forest Hills Drive or Born Center or Sideline Story. Did. And that was really disappointing because I'm a Cole fan. Been here since the warm-up. Hell, I even listened to the come-up. And while that was nowhere near the level what the warm-up was, I still liked it. Because I like Cole. But Cole, man, his beats are just boring now. For someone who has proved himself to be a production wizard, why rap over all those 
sad, slow-ass beats. Like, even ATM. I guess. Maybe it's me. But at the same time, it's like, man. Cole, can, like, don't you want to have a joint that rocks, you know? I get you're trying to stay on concept, but let's look across to our West Coast brother, Mr. Kendrick Lamar. So, you look at Damn. He's telling his Damn is a concept album. And Damn has damn good beats. You look at the album before that, and man, my brain is mush because I can't remember what his album was called before that. And it's the thing that brought me and uh, Marcus together as podcasting friends. To Pimp a Brother Butterfly. To Pimp a Butterfly had jams on it. And that's a whole concept album. Obviously, Good Kid was a concept album as well. And it had jams. KOD has none. Maybe it's me. I don't know. But why can't there be a good ass beat behind what you're saying on a concept album. All those, like, that shit wanted to, like, wanted to lull me to sleep, to be completely honest with you. And it was so disappointing, because I fuck with Cole, man. But to listen to the album, is like, uh, n- nothing about KOD stood out to me. Not like I'm looking at the track list. Everybody's like, oh, Kevin's heart. You know, it's fine. <laughs> like, none of this. 12 songs and none of them. None of them. Did a damn thing for me. So, as it's already been stated on several different outlets, why is it that Cole can go in and kill these features, but when he goes in and do his own album, his album's meh? Why? It's not that we don't think he cares, and Cole's come out in recent weeks and has said things about changing it up and being out there more and not doing his no features thing, which is incredible. Being able to go platinum, in 2019, 2018, no features, and and sell to his fan base. That is incredible, and it speaks to the work that he has been able to do as a rapper. It speaks volumes, huge volumes. But why can you we not? Why 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 is he? Like I I get the whole. I only rely on me and the team thing. I get it. That that might be part of the reason why they can't get the cohesive sound he wants. Because he has so many different sounds coming from different people, and then he tries to put his sound over it, and it's disjointed. It, it, it makes me mad. And maybe it's me. Maybe I don't get KOD. Because I, I didn't really fuck with For Your Eyes Only. I said this already, but I went back, re-listened to it, and I was like, okay, you know what? This is actually really, really fucking good. But KOD just didn't move me. 
Which again, hella disappointing. Which brings us to our next artist. Our fourth artist we're going to talk about today, Mr. Justin Timberlake. The following has been filtered to remove all ego, to provide the best quality material for listeners. Thank you. On behalf of the Hyphen Podcast Group. My name is Miles Amadeus Prower. I have what I believe is a pretty cool podcast that you probably never heard of. I Black Man Podcast is a view of a white world, seen with the aid of a black light and a little humor to help you cope. So check out the I Black Man Podcast on iTunes and anywhere you listen to podcasts. Now, if you remember around this time last year, I had plenty of issues with Justin. Of course, he had started, he announced he's going to drop Man in the Woods, and the promo video came out of him standing in the woods, and everybody's like, oh, he's going to drop a, he's going to drop a country album. And everybody, oh, that's what, that's what's going to happen here. He's going to drop this country album, and that's what Justin wants to do right now. And then, of course, the whole Super Bowl thing happened, where it's like, I'm going to perform in Super Bowl, of course, we all know that the thing with Janet happened so many years before where the nipple happened and he blamed it all on her and Janet's never been the same since. Let's be honest, Janet's been never looked at the same by white people since. And it's hurt her career as far as her crossover appeal. Janet will always have her Janet fans, but you know who's Janet fans now? Instead of Janet being able to put out music and then get a chance to be seen and heard by a younger audience of new fans. Janet is stuck in the contemporary adult age range. Like, honestly, I feel like there's nobody who fucks with Janet that is, uh, let, let's go benefit a doubt, 25. Anybody, anybody that's younger than 25 has no idea who Janet Jackson is. And that might even be cutting it close. Let's just say 30. Because I know when I was 18, 19, and like It's All For You was on the radio and stuff, that there were kids younger than me that was like, I love this new Janet Jackson song. So I'm going to say that, that if they stuck with that feeling and went back to see what she did before or have followed her since, they are still fans. So 30. No one below 30 gives a damn about what Janet Jackson does because of this Super Bowl incident. And whatever, whatever, it was her fault. Like, that that wasn't cool, Justin. But we let it slide. We let it slide because you gave us future sex love sounds in 2006. And then you turned around and gave us the 2020 experience in 2012. I was a big fan of part one. Also, sidebar, go check out Catch the Show. He did an episode about Justin Timberlake's show, the Man in the Woods tour. He actually went to it for a second time. Uh, go check out what my man um, EG had to say about it. I was actually on his pod not that long ago. Uh, we covered like a bunch of uh, West Virginia hip hop history because we covered like the Sound Vision show that I performed at back in November. But he has some really good takes on Justin in general. He's a bigger fan of 2020 experience as a whole where I'm more of a fan of the part one, because part one I thought was perfect. Part two felt a little long, and there were some feelings I didn't mess with. And then the whole thing, the Super Bowl being in Minneapolis, and then the Prince tribute, even though he dissed Prince several times, like, years before, 
That wasn't cool. And then Man of the Woods dropped, and everybody's like, meh. But me being the completest that I am and being a Justin Timberlake fan I am, I was like, let me give it a shot. And I can't lie, I did like Can't Stop the Feeling. I liked it before I had to, before I watched Trolls. So, as many times as I've watched Trolls now, I, uh, I actually appreciated his work as Branch. <laughs> but Can't Stop the Feeling felt very happy-ish in the same vein. But it, it's a good song. But here we are. Man of the Woods comes out. I finally press play on it. I didn't fuck with the first joint. The first single, Filthy. Uh-uh. The beat's cool. And you know what sucks about this album before we go any further? The Neptunes are all over it. Pharrell and Chad hadn't worked with Justin since Justified. Because what had happened was Justin signed the job. I believe he still signed the job. Or whatever job has been folded into if job doesn't exist anymore. And because the Clips were having such a hard time getting Hell Half No Fury, their second album release, Pharrell said, I'm not fucking with any job artists, which meant he cut off two of his biggest clients in the world, Britney Spears, who he did great work with on her early 2000s stuff. And actually, I thought they had good chemistry. And yeah, I fuck with Britney a little bit. Fuck you. And Justin, who he had great songs with. Senorita, Rock Your Body. But then when Justin couldn't work with Pharrell anymore, or when Pharrell wouldn't work with Justin because he's on job, he developed the more of the relationship with Timbaland, and we saw what that blossomed into. Now, there's been here tracks here or there that Justin's been on that Pharrell's produced. Like, one that comes to mind is, um, the, uh, it was a, a song by The Game. And, uh, uh I wish, ah, uh, Podcasting 101. Um, yeah, it was a song of the game in Justin Timberlake. And it didn't was never released. Which just blew my mind. Ain't no doubt about it. And that came to me before I got there. Ain't no doubt about it. And actually, uh, me and my homie Ace Beans did a song over that called Salem. You can check that out at b-bandcamp.com. Plug. So there's been times that Justin and Pharrell have linked up since, but never on this level where it was before, okay? And, oh, God. (laughs) Filthy, wasn't it? I thought the beat was interesting, but what Justin did with it was boring, yeah, it was actually a, Timberland, a Timberland song. Of course it was. Midnight Summer Jam, which has all the makings of, yo, this joint's dope. Eh, eh it wasn't good. Man in the Woods. Another Neptune song. Eh, higher, higher. Eh, wave. Eh, supplies. I did fuck with Supplies when I heard it. I liked Supplies. I hated the video because he sent all these me- these Me Too messages and uh, things aren't right in society and Black people aren't being treated right, but I'm Justin Timberlake. You know, supplies is okay though. Did a did a <sighs> collaboration with Alicia Keys, who has fallen off in my opinion. Yeah, I I haven't really messed with Alicia uh, Alicia in a while. I'm sorry. 
I enjoy her stuff when I see her in the voice. I know she's got classes under her belt. She should be respected, but <sighs> Girl on Fire, her voice is different, man. Like, and then these things happen, but she's not the same same girl who had the piano on songs in A minor. Did the song with uh, Chris Stapleton, which supposedly did well. Had the wife on some interludes, uh, Jessica Beale, which is fine. Flannel, awful. But then we get to the end of the album, and I'm hating this album so far. I'm like, good God, Justin Timberlake, what the hell were you thinking? Mind you, this album is mostly a Neptune's album. Timbaland has only produced one, two, three songs. Three songs on the whole album after being the sole producer for a while. The Neptunes handle a bulk of this. You hit track 12, which is Montana, and then ride that shit to the end. Montana, Breeze Off the Pond, Living Off the Land, The Hard Stuff, and Young Man, fire. Which just blew my mind. I'm like, why are these songs so good? And why are they on the end of the fucking album, Justin? Like, why? If not to take deadly aim, it's him or me. Things will never be the same, Hamilton. <sighs> but I digress. Because this is when I started thinking. It's like, why would Justin make this album? This album that, let's see if I can get a a good quote from Wikipedia here. The record sees Timberlake experimenting with the elements of R&B, funk, pop, soul, and Americana. Album is named after his son Silas, whose name means Man of the Forest. Cool. Fine with that. <sighs> so here, here's a quote. I think where I grew up in America has a lot of influence growing up in Tennessee, very central to country. Memphis is known as the birthplace of rock and roll, but also the home of the blues. But Nashville is right down the street, so there's a lot of country music. It sounds more like where I've come from than any other music I've ever made. It's Southern American music. But I want to make it sound modern. At least that's the idea right now. So after all those years of us embracing you. And when I say us, I mean black people embracing you, Justin Timberlake. <sighs> from, from, from the moment that you did that joint on the last NSYNC album, Gone. I heard that joint, I was like, yo, that's straight R&B, that shit's fire. Still fuck with that song to this day. And then you go and your first single by yourself has the clips on it. We embraced you, Justin. God, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse here, but I have something to say, pun intended. I'm just saying, after all those years embracing you, and you know what black people are going through in America right now, between what the NFL's done to Kaepernick, shout out to him for winning this case, and or getting paid for his case, and then just seeing all the shit that's happened to black people in this country. You're going to sit here and tell me, uh, you know, I feel like doing a little country album, you know, something that really represented where I'm from. Memphis has 3-6 Mafia. You fuck with 3-6. There's a song on freaking Catch the Show. Freaking EG was like, yo, they're playing 3-6 Mafia before the show. Because Justin's from Memphis. He fucks with rap. He fucks with hip hop. He fucks with us. 
But in all those years of borrowing our sound and even being in the conversation of who's the best act out right now, being in the conversation with, with Usher and that piece of trash who hit Rihanna. Like, people were putting you on that pedestal like, yo, he can go toe-to-toe with these guys dancing and with the music. But then for it to come back to this, I wanted to make an Americana album. Like, shut the fuck up, Justin. And then to get to the actual album, because I, I shouldn't have bothered. I really shouldn't have bothered, but I wanted to. I wanted to hear what this sound was that he was making. For it to sound so... Towards the end, it's it's more it's less less uh, R and B soul-y. Um, it's less of our sound, and for him to go and make songs like Filthy or Midnight Summer Jam, things that are in his pocket as far as his music goes, and be like, oh, I want to make this Americana album, but here's Timbaland, here's Pharrell, here's Chad, Ugh. and then for the best songs to be on the end of the album. Just blows my mind. But then I got to thinking like I was trying to get too far I went on that rant. Like maybe this is an artist growing. Like you can't stay the same forever. Hope set it on, on to the next one. Buy my old albums, you know. People grow as musical artists. This is what they do. And this was Justin trying to take another leap and step into what he wanted his career to be. Yeah, man, alienating his black audience. Not that he hadn't done that enough and not that he hadn't appropriated enough stuff from us, but... This is what he wanted, the album he wanted to make. And, we, and I have to respect that. I have to respect that, and I have to respect that about Wale, that he wants to make these these things, I don't know. He wants to make these albums that sound like that. And I don't know where I'm going. Yeah. I can't even do a good Wale impersonation, because I keep going back to people I take. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's what their heart is saying. Because Lord knows, I'd like to hop on the mic and be like, yeah, it's HY, yeah, I'm fucking your bitch. But you know what? HY ain't fucking your bitch. HY is coming home after he gets off work and putting his daughter, uh, having dinner with his family, getting his daughter in the bathtub, put, reading her stories, putting her in bed, and then spending a little time with his wife before he goes to sleep at night. Yeah, it's HY in the place, and I just put my daughter to bed. Uh, you know what? That shit should sound, should sound hard, but it just will never not. It never won't. It never will sound hard. That's what I'm trying to say. So I get it. I don't have to like it. And I actually had, and that's why I keep saying maybe it's me. Because this topic said, Timberlake's problem slash my problem. My problem is that I'm, that I'm not ready for new sounds from artists, man. But I, I feel like I allow an artist to have his... Chance, I'm a nader by nature, so I'm gonna say something, pun, that I don't like this new Kanye. Why is he singing? And I I swear to goodness, the first version of Love Lockdown that came out in 2008 sucked. Everybody told him he sucked, so he went back and reworked it to where it became the Love Lockdown and it 
eventually ended up being. But the first one was trash. And then you get the rest of 808s of Heartbreaks, and you're like, oh. But maybe he didn't get to that point without people saying it's trash. Maybe nobody told Justin, hey, this shit's trash. Maybe he's just too fucking rich at this point, even for Timbaland and, and Pharrell. Which brings us to our last artist. I made a topic last year, and the man was on the cover of the episode, saying that I thought Nas was going was done making music. Because last I heard, Nas's album was done from DJ Khaled, and no album showed up since. So I was just thinking, all right, Nas is just like, he's, he's hit that point where he's like, I have nothing else to say. Which is fine. You have nothing else to say. Understandable. But then uh, the good, good music June happened. And Omari dropped his shit, which I refuse to listen to. Push's album came out. Push's album is cool, but it's too short. Seven songs ain't enough. Not listening to the kids see Ghost, because Omari's on it. Not, I have no reason to check out Tiana Taylor. Tiana Trump? Yes. Tiana Taylor? Nah. And, and that slate of albums... There was Nas. We're getting a seven song Nas album. Mind you, Omari got nominated for a Grammy for his production work this past year. Nas' year is trash. The album. And he's kind of a trash person now, especially if these police allegations are true that he's he put hands on her. I don't I don't fuck with that. Should never be a thing. And you know And it wasn't even that the beats were bad. I'm gonna give Amari his credit here. Some of the beats were good. Omari actually had a good verse on the album. But for some reason, Nas couldn't catch the fucking beat to save his life. Why? Hamilton. Nas, the prodigy from Queensbridge, who's been rapping for longer than I've been alive at this point, I think. At 16, well, not true. Because, I mean, when did Illmatic come out? 94. I think he was 19 when Illmatic came out. So, he's been doing it for a while, <laughs> to say the least. But what I don't understand is why he had such a hard time catching the damn beat. On all these songs, there's one song on this album where I was like, this song's good. So let's see. 94 is when it came out. Nas is born in 73. So what's that, 21? 
I, I, it, it just boggles my mind that someone who I respect so highly music-wise can make an album like this. And I'm still talking about Nazir. And it just not be good. And I was hearing, like, oh, you heard that new Nas? A couple people asked me. I'm like, nah, I ain't listen to it yet. Oh, you got to check it out, man. You're going to really like it. Because people know I fuck with Nas. Oh, you're going to really like this this Nas album, man. It's really cool, man. Him and Kanye. Blah, blah, blah. Wasted Tony Williams, wasted a dream, wasted Omari. I honestly think the only song on here I fuck with is Simple Things, and that's the last song on the album. Everything else was not good. I think Kanye had the verse on Cop Shot the Kid that I fucked with. And for this to be your first time out since in six years, because I fucked heavy with Life is Good. That was 2012. For this to be your first album after all this time, and then you do seven joints, it's like, oh, it's only seven joints. So Matic was only nine joints. He's got this. He, he definitely has this. There's, there's no doubt about it. Ain't no doubt. Ain't no doubt about it. That's how it goes. Mine goes... My mind goes on. I can't help myself, but my hands don't keep to themselves. And you ain't fooling. That's what I sang over it, just in case you cared. <laughs> I love my podcast. But, yeah. I even listened to, he did a joint for the Hamilton mixtape that Nas is on called Wrote My Way Out. And he get, Lin-Manuel had a better verse than Nas on there. Following the release of Nasir, Nas confirmed he would return to completing a previous album, including production from Swiss Beats and Mirza. <sighs> Man. I, I just don't get it. For one of the greats, I just wanted so much more and he couldn't catch the damn beat. Maybe too much Hennessy. So is it me? Are my takes on all this music wrong? Am I listening wrong? Or am I right that these five artists just have issues and it's coming through in their music and not in a good way? I hope so, because I I mean, I don't want to sit here and bitch which is essentially what I'm doing here. But I I think it's important to recognize where people, where they're failing at, you know? That, yeah, they're selling copies, but maybe it's just the state of music now where it's like, Oh, let's let's put out the album and everything will chart for a week and it'll be so cool and but you're just not making memorable music. You're just making quantity over quality. 
but it could be me. I could be wrong. Like Marcus is going to hear this and be like, like you need to go back and listen to that music. Like, Why? He ain't going to say that about Timberlake, but he, he might say that about KOD for sure. I don't think he's going to be mad at my Wale or Eminem or, or uh, Nas takes. They were like, you need to listen to KOD again. Because it was Marcus who said, you need to listen to Good Kid Mad City again. Because I listened to it first time. I was like, oh, it's fine. It's like, uh, there's a bigger picture there that you're missing. And you kind of need to know that. And I really went back and listened to the whole picture. Versus thinking I was just listening to random songs on the album. So I've been wrong before. Probably be wrong again. But I'm just saying. That's where we're at. <sighs> so, if you've enjoyed listening to the world's greatest podcast, Hyphen Nation, I appreciate you listening. You can find Hyphen Nation wherever podcasts are sold, but any podcast listening platform, iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, powered by Anchor. Hopefully I don't have to start paying for that or I'm going back to archive.org. Um... Google Podcasts, Radio Public, shout out to Radio Public. Still a fan, still my primary listening app. Still no check. HyphenPodcastGroup.com. All the episodes of Hyphen Nation are available there, as well as other great podcasts. Bringing great podcasts to the people. Please support the Patreon. In case you ain't noticed, we do have an ad running for our Patreon page to try to cover our website cost. And I can probably safely say that we haven't gotten any Patreon still. Yep, still a big old fat zero. So if you feel like you want to help us out a little bit, patreon.com slash hyphen, hyphen podcast group. I'm sorry. And you can uh, help us out there with our website cost. If you want to get a hold of me, B-H-Y-P-H-E-N at gmail.com. B-H-Y-P-H-E-N on Twitter. Be hyphen. Hyphen Universe on Facebook. Hyphen Podcast Group on Facebook. Hyphen Pod Group on Twitter. The Be Hyphen on Instagram. And Hyphen Podcast Group on Instagram. I actually hit up the person on Instagram who has Be Hyphen, the name. They posted one picture like several years ago. I sent them a message. I was like, can I use your name? But they never responded. <laughs> kind of tempted the email Instagram. Like, hey, this page isn't doing anything. I'd really like VB hyphen on the on Instagram. But VB hyphen is where it's at. Or you can always email to hyphen podcast group at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Love the feedback. Ironically enough, everybody who's giving me feedback on the show, I'm working with on a daily basis. Um, on something they're working on for hyphen podcast group so if you want to throw in any inputs please let me know love to hear from you <sighs> what else man if you go to hyphenpodcastgroup.com go to the shows link under the menu you'll see hyphen nation you'll see an rss link you can take that rss link and you can even use the old link which is uh it's not coming to me. Man, which is feeds.feedburner.com slash hyphen nation 2016. You 
can get one of those feeds, put it into your favorite podcast listening device, turn that some bit sideways, and you can get all 85 episodes of Fire! Just like that. <laughs> it's a wonder I only get the number of plays I do. But I love it, each and every one of y'all. <sighs> Words of wisdom for today. Speak your truth. Uh, Maps actually said on a recent episode of, uh, I believe it was Maps, said it on a recent episode of the I Black Man podcast. Also powered by Hyphen Nation Group. Shit, now I'm messing up my own shit. Also powered by Hyphen Podcast Group. Hyphen Nation is my podcast. Hyphen Podcast Group is the network. Sheesh, sorry. He recently said on our Black Man Podcast that people, that the, that the lie always sounds better. I think it was him than the truth. But you gotta tell the truth, man. You just gotta be... Tell the truth to yourself, first and foremost. And you also just got to tell the truth to the people around you. They may not want to hear it, but you got to speak your truth. Because you have to be happy at the end of the day. Even if it causes you unhappiness to tell the truth, you will never truly be happy living that lie. Just saying. <sighs> Hug your mom. Kiss your father. Shake your brother's hand, send an email to your sister, write a letter to your aunt, send a telegram to your uncle, reach out, let people know that you care, have genuine interactions with people, it means a lot more than you think. The power of positivity is real! Just gotta believe, man. So I say all of that... To say this, I'm thankful for everyone who checks out the show. Thanks for spending your time with me, your time in the car, your time at work, your time at home doing nothing. Tom, walking your dog, running a mile. Just thanks for spending the time, man. It means a lot. And even though I complained, every single one of these plays means the world to me. Because it's crazy that I even get that much. So... Thanks, y'all. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and comment. This has been a Hyphen Podcast Network production. They're the bestest. I'm getting paid at exposure.